Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, Voice America listeners. Very happy to have you with us. Last week, we began a discussion that so many of you live every day. It's the life of the resilient person. We spoke for many weeks about different types of neurological and emotional and stress-related challenges and interventions to assist. Last week, um, I started to begin a discussion on resiliency, and I read the beginnings of an article by Jesse Scholl, New York writer and teacher. We're really happy to have her on the show today, and we'll bring her on in a couple minutes. I, I want to continue our discussion of the five best ways to be resilient, as laid out in Scholl in her article. Scholl states in her articles, in her article that psychologists agree that some people seem to be born with more resilience than others, but they also assert that it's possible for all of us to cultivate more of it. One key is adjusting how we think about it and our, our adversity. According to top researchers, these are the top five most powerful ways to go about building your resiliency. And one way, just outside of this article, that you build resiliency every day is by getting up, facing your challenge, going out, and getting it done. And you do it so often. You help your kids, you help others, you help yourself. So I want you to be able to see your resiliency within yourself as you currently are. So the first one is to pump up your positivity. Research pro- shows that daily, a daily repertoire of emotions of people who are highly resilient is remarkably different from those who are, are not. And that's by Barbara Fredrickson, the author of Positivity. Resilient people are characterized by an ability to experience both negative and positive emotions, even in difficult and painful situations. One of the things I talked about several weeks ago was the idea when we were talking about anxiety and I was saying that there are different types of ego discomfort and one of the the types of ego discomfort is frustration tolerance. People that don't have a high level of frustration tolerance often are showing anxiety and the reverse that they're showing a lot of anxious behaviors but they are also have very low levels of tolerance towards frustration. So if you are unable to see a positive side to something that you're doing, even when it becomes difficult, you're going to have more challenges in getting by and and, and, and being successful through through those challenges, not to be redundant. Fredrickson says that they mourn losses and and endure frustrations but they also find redeeming potential or value in most challenges so that there's a lesson that becomes learned from it. This means that every heart-wrenching negative emotional experience you endure, you have to experience at least three heartfelt positive emotional experiences that uplift you. Three to one appears to be the tipping point predicting whether people languish or flourish. So if we're only focusing on 
the negative and the and the challenge that exists, we never are able to see the successes that come from it. And even approaching it is the beginning of a success. Number two, live to learn. The more you can leverage challenges as opportunities to grow and evolve, the more resilient you are likely to be. Pain comes to all of us in life, says David Sabian, clinical psychologist in Wichita Falls, Texas. What I see resilient people do is immediately look at the problem and say, what's the solution to that? What is, the, what is this trying to teach me? Looking at pain as an opportunity to learn and, and problem solve and building the confidence and, and the habit of moving towards the pain instead of running from it goes a long way in terms of building resiliency. It's a very Buddhist mentality that from a challenge, from a problem, there's a lesson to be learned. Thirdly, <clears throat> open your heart. Being of service to others is a powerful way of stoking resilience. In studies, researchers have found that serotonin, the transmitter associated with feelings of happiness and well-being, which we've talked about a lot on the show and how to build up serotonin levels, is used more efficiently by people who have just engaged in an act of kindness. Acts of kindness and the serotonin boosts that accompany them have a cumulative effect. Once you've added these things to your life in a consistent way, the benefits become exponential so that in many times of difficulty, you've got this well of resiliency to draw upon. So you have to be able to, at some point, see that the kindness that you exert, even when people are not being kind towards you, that the kindness that you bring out makes your brain feel good makes you feel positive inside and if that is the end result of your kindness it's going to build that resiliency in you to be, feel stronger and happier inside happier and stronger inside build yourself what does that mean it means take care of yourself that's number four good health and a regular routine of healthy habits are the foundational are foundational to both mental and emotional resilience. Now, remember last week we talked about Victoria Uvolo's accident and how Kino had thrown a turkey off of a freeway overpass and hit her car and and hit her and she was very injured and but when it came time to sentence the kid that had thrown the turkey she felt bad for him you know and she realized that he had a lot of problems himself and that he wasn't necessarily doing anything intentionally towards her he just made a really stupid mistake so she had empathy for him so just prior to that accident that crushed the bones in her face Ruvolo had lost 60 excess pounds and substantially improved her fitness she said, I was in the best physical condition I could possibly be in. I was all muscle, she says. After she healed, doctors told Rivola that her excellent physical condition had certainly played a role in almost her in her almost miraculous recuperation. Daily habits count. When you're caught up on sleep, 
eating well and keeping stress levels low, you'll be less fragile and less likely to fall into unhealthy patterns following a serious setback or tragedy. So when your body is there and is is healthy and ready for you to take on a, a, a challenge that occurs or some situation that occurs, you are much less likely to be as affected by it. Or let's say in a different way, you're much more likely to be strong and be able to get through that situation. Health, sleep, taking care of yourself is so important. Remember on the plane, they always tell us if we lose air pressure, put your mask on first and then put the mask on your kid. So first, you've got to take care of you. Then you can take care of others. you got to sharpen your own knife, sharpen your own sword before you go into battle. Number five, hang on to humor. Playful humor enhances survival for many reasons. Al Siebert wrote a, a book called The Survivor Personality. And that's what he believes. He believes that humor enhances the survival. Now, remember, I've always said, too, that your survival is your strength, not your shame. So the things that you do in your life to survive, those are the things that you should be so proud of and never be shameful of. Seabird notes that laughing reduces tension to more moderate levels. And psychologically, choosing levity can be incredibly empowering. Playing with a situation makes a person more powerful than the sheer determination. Seabird further explains that the person who toys with the situation creates an inner feeling of, this is my plaything, I'm bigger than it. it, I won't let it scare me. Uvolo credits a sense of humor with helping her rebound as well, and she thanks her mother for that. My mom was big on laughter, Uvolo says. She always said that you have to keep laughing. My mother lost two sons, and yes, she had few problems, but she always laughed and always told jokes. I truly believe it helps you to understand and to get through. Case in point. Volo speaks once a month to troubled teens in a conflict resolution program. Toward the end of each session, she makes a joke about the frozen turkey that came through her windshield on that winter night and nearly killed her. I tell the kids, now that for the rest of my life I have, been, have to be known as a turkey lady, thank God it was a turkey and not a ham because I would have been known as Miss Piggy. Humor. So important. The things that we have discussed being positive being able to find the goodness in something the ability to look at a situation and not only see the damage that it's done to you but being able to also work through that and see that you can survive and you can be successful living to learn again what does that mean they mean it means like 
when I have a problem, I learn from the situation that occurs. I don't only pity myself for having such a, a problem occur. And again, when you get a life lesson from something, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable with it. And the more that you learn about your situation, the more that you also will learn that others have dealt with the same thing that you've dealt with for many years. You're not alone. Remember, we call it universalism. It's that idea that you're not alone in your troubles. You're not alone in the challenges that you're having. Other people have had them too. Open up your heart to being kind. Have that kindness backing you so that those serotonin levels are strong in your brain. Take care of yourself. Be healthy. Be strong. Get enough sleep. So that you, when challenges do come up, you're ready for them. And it's not something that you fear occurring. It's something that you know that you can get through. So these are the five areas that are, were discussed in Shoal's article. And I'm so happy to, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll have Jesse on with us and we can discuss her writing and, and her thoughts on resiliency and her books that she's written. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a chance to get yourself a cup of coffee and settle down for the rest of the show. Um, I've been talking about resiliency for the last two shows, and this morning, finishing up a a summary of an article by Jesse Scholl um, that, oh, I'm so sorry, um, that she wrote back in 2011. And the article pointed out five different areas that help us to build resiliency. I'd like to bring Jesse on the show now. Jesse is the author of Dirty Secret, A Daughter Comes Clean About Her Mother's Compulsive Hoarding, and co-editor of the literary nonfiction anthology Traveler's Tales, Prague and, Czech, Prague and the Czech Republic. Her essays and her stories have appeared in New York in the New York Times, Ladies Home Journal, Salon.com, Red Book, The Experienced Life, among other publications. Jesse teaches fiction and nonfiction writing at the New School and other universities in New York City, and she's currently working on a second memoir. So, Jesse Scholl, good morning to you. Good, good morning. Thank you for having me. Very nice to have you on the show. We've been enjoying your article and you, the your ability to put the very concise ideas together so that people would be able to share what are the areas that build resiliency. And so I guess my first question is what kind of brought you to uh, write about resiliency? Uh, well, my I write regularly for Experience Life magazine and my editor, who knows me pretty well, uh, I think she could tell that this was something that I am interested in, and so my editor came to me. Uh, she assigned it to me, and I was very happy about that, and I really uh, was excited about the research and, and everything that went into the article. Well, the research so was, was very... basically indi- luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was luck, but it was also, you know, back in 2010, you wrote your book, Dirty Secret, A Daughter Comes Clean About Her Mother's Compulsive Hoarding. Now, do you think that that writing of that led to some of your your ideas of resiliency? Yeah, I do think so. Uh, I kind of, I realized a lot through the writing of that book. And um, one of the things I realized is, uh, you know, I, I I feel like I'm a resilient person, but I also learned a lot about my mother when I wrote the book, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot about her childhood, and I saw the ways that she is a resilient person, too. So, um, yes, I definitely think that the two are connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, that most people, uh, I definitely your mom was dealing with some mental health issues. They, mm-hmm. Most people... Dealing with mental health issues are pretty darn resilient because they're dealing with a very, very tough life and tough situation. I love that in the book you wrote wrote this. Somewhere under all the filth is a reliable mother, a consistent and compassionate mother. Somewhere under all the heaps of moth-eaten sweaters and secondhand winter coats and cardboard boxes kept just because they're good quality. And I tell you, no one at all, that in spite of all our complicated relationship, the thought of her dying is absolutely unbearable. 
and what and, and that if that happened, I'd be shattered into a million pieces. So look how important she is to you still, even though mm-hmm. there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of challenge. And that's what a lot of our families deal with. A lot of our families are living with children with disabilities, pretty significant behavioral challenges, and they consistently, you know, are, are, are stressed out. But they love their kids so much, just as you love your mom. And so that, the, that kindness, that, that one of the things that we talked about in the article is the need for kindness to be resilient. And it appears that that is a, a big area for you. You've been very, very kind to your mom. And, and, and in your book, you show that even though it was very difficult to go in there and try and clean up her house or try and help her, you care about her. How, how do you keep caring about somebody that makes it so tough on you? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's something I've been thinking about uh, lately because, I mean, and it is a, I think it is very important to resiliency, and that is that it's okay. It's it's it not it's it's more than okay. It's good to have to allow yourself to have more than one emotion sitting next to each other. So you can have love for this person, but you can also have anger, and I think that. Knowing that, uh, that's also part of resiliency is not seeing things in black and white terms. It's not this or that. So I don't love or hate my mother, but I love her and then I can be angry about certain things too. Uh, I, I think that's really the key. That, and that was the key for me with my mom is to, is to just recognize that, yeah, I, you know, I, w- I wish she had done certain things differently, but, but I still love her. One of the things that I talk about with parents and teachers is that the child that you're working with or the kiddo that's demonstrating these challenges, that's an aspect of them. Or even the parent that's been abusive or the parent that has been unable to or neglectful, unable to be there for that kid, that is one facet. And I often show people a pyramid that sits on my desk that shows all Mm -hmm. the different facets of the pyramid. And that's one part of them. But there are other parts of them, the love, the happiness that they bring you, the ability to interact, the, the joys that do come from the interaction with the child. Maybe they come less often. But if you only are focusing on the negative that you experience with them, how challenging it would be to continue to exist. Because you just, yeah. mm-hmm. everything, everything seems so horrible. You know, there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. At one point in the book, you wrote about you were cleaning up her house, and there was no mm-hmm. place for you to settle down to just sit for a second. And you just said to yourself, "I will be able to when I get to my dad's house. I'll be able to take a bath and relax and move myself away from this situation." And that's kind of what you did every day while you were cleaning up. You'd go into that big kind of horrible situation, trying to help knowing that your end reinforcement at the end would be that hot bath, that ability to relax a little bit. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. sometimes people don't have that out at all. They don't have, you know, the ability to to escape or, or avoid it a little bit. And so they're caught up in it. And one of the things that we talked about on the show a few weeks ago 
is when somebody is under pressure like that, where they could never remove themselves from the challenge, even for an hour, Mm -hmm. what happens is their brain starts to stay on constant alert. And there's a particular part of the brain that what it does is it triggers the fight or flight, the parasympathetic nervous system. The uh-huh. fight to like get the am I gonna turn around and fight this challenge or am I gonna get the hell out of here? And but what uh-huh. happens is when that part of the brain is running constantly, that's when we see things like PTSD and an individual who's highly anxious and just can't calm their system. So it's so important to have, as you said, to be able to look at your situation and see the 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 black and the white and the gray area in between, not only, not only the black, you, um, right. Mm-hmm. You know, you ended your book brilliantly. You described a concept I teach on the show. Uh, an extraordinary thing happened. The more I talked about my mother's compulsive hoarding, the more people uh, who told me about their mothers and their fathers and brothers and cousins and sisters and aunts, and the weaker my secret became until it was gone. What a wonderful paragraph, because what you described there is Thank universalism. You. Mm-hmm. you talk about knowing you're not alone in your challenge. Talk to me a little bit about that. When did that come to you? When you when did that idea come to you? That all of a sudden, um, like, well, well, you know, it was when I was uh, I was beginning to consider the idea of writing about you know my secret of my mother's hoarding. I hadn't told anyone. I had chi- I had friends from childhood who didn't know. Uh, I had kept it such a big secret because I was so ashamed. So first I, well the first thing I did is I asked my mother if it would be okay for me to write about it. I had already written some health articles, and at first I thought it would might might just be an article. And she said, yes, that's fine. So I started doing research, and I came upon a, um, an online support group called Children of Hoarders, which I was shocked that it existed. This was in probably 2008, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and the group had just begun. And so I joined the group, and, I mean, I was amazed to find that there were all these people who were just like me, Children of Hoarders. And... Just we all compared notes, and we found so many similarities among our parents and and among ourselves, and uh, so that was really when I started realizing, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah, and you're not the only one me. living that shame. Feel, yeah, it just made me mm-hmm. feel so much more. Um, I I guess just it just really kind of melted the shame. It began mm-hmm. to melt the shame, <clears throat> and then when I was Excuse me. Then when I was doing, then when I was writing and I was telling people what I was working on, that helped. And then, you know, when the book came out, that helped a lot. And so, yeah, it's just a matter of kind of revealing yourself and accepting yourself. So I I, accepted myself, too. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that it's like the key to healing, to know that we're not alone in our, in the challenges that we're having. And that when people begin to understand that they they let go of a lot of stuff that they put on themselves because it's not just shame the shame the shame may come just like from an alcoholic parent may come from not Mm -hmm. being able to fix it 
not being able to stop it, not being able to control yeah. mm-hmm. the situation, and mm-hmm. and at the same time wanting to have friends over, people in your house, but being so afraid that they would look at you like, well, why don't you do something different? You know, when you simply as a child, there's no way possible to do something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the powerlessness is a big issue, um, I think, too, in terms of resiliency, because, you know, for me, I just, I really, I spent so, I've spent decades trying to, to you know, quote, unquote, fix my mother. Sure. Um, and realizing that I, and, and so because I couldn't, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Right. You know, oh, if it's- I just did this, if I just did this. If, you know, if I were a different person. Um, and so accepting the fact but, that I couldn't change her helped me a lot. Absolutely. Believe it or not, we got to take a little break. We'll be right back and we'll continue our conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Been really enjoying our conversation with Jesse Scholl. We've been talking about resiliency, 
And we left the conversation, we were talking about the idea of universalism, when Jesse found out that, and had written her book about her mom's hoarding, and had found out that other people had dealt with the same thing, her people that she knew closely to her, that friends, and, and one of the things that she and I were just talking about on the break was this feeling that you have as a child when you're trying to deal with these situations that you not only may feel some shame, but you also feel a protective mode. You feel that there's something that you need to do as a child in order to protect other people from looking at your parent badly or looking at the the person, that you, whether it's your parent or your kid, badly. So it's not just about the situation that you're dealing with, the hoarding or the behavior problem, but it's there's there's a part of it too that you don't want that person to be looked at poorly. Is what I'm saying? Is this right, Jesse? Is this how you were you were feeling also? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, in a way, that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about having all these different emotions sitting next to each other. So you know, I was furious with my mom a lot of times as a kid for things that she did but at the same time I would never allow anyone to see you know Mm -hmm. to see her house or I mean even now I won't let anyone say anything bad about my mom it's it's very I'm very protective of her she's not a bad person she's just in bad situations exactly she has a Mm -hmm. mental health problem Mm-hmm. And you know, and people yeah. just they have. If she had cancer, which she actually happened to have also, uh, and yeah. thank goodness she's gotten through that. But you know, when she had cancer, they you know they treated her, they brought her into the hospital, they did the surgeries, they did whatever needed to be done. She prepared for it. She wanted to give you her house. I mean, there were all sorts of things that just seemed like the typical thing you do when you're sick. But when somebody is mentally ill it becomes such a shame area and such a, a, yeah. a negative. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I would say you're lucky to be able to do is to write. The fact that you have writing as a catalyst to talk about your issues. And and I, I literally picked up your book yesterday at about 10 a.m. and did not put the thing down until about 7 o'clock last night. And just read it, and then it took me, and then I took about an hour afterwards to just, like, recoup my own brain, because it did. It brought up a lot of stuff, but what it kept Mm -hmm. reminding me personally of was, wow, a lot of people can deal with the most challenging things and still make it through it. And one of the, um, again... You, you, you teach in multiple places and teaching and learning that pedagogy, that's, that's very tiring and frustrating and it's often very fulfilling too. How do you teach your writing students to be resilient in their writing? Not so much because it's hard. It's hard to write a, it's hard to write a book. It's hard to write an essay. Shoot, sometimes it's hard to write a sentence to get something mm-hmm. out. How do you get your... How do you get your your students to to write? I mean, that's a yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think in terms of resiliency with writing, um, you know, well, well, just backing up for one second. One thing 
is I, I used to always say, I began as a fiction writer, and I used to say, you know, writing should not be therapy. Writing isn't about, um, you know, trying to look for an, a therapeutic outcome. But when I started writing personal essays and then my book, I completely changed my mind. Uh, because yeah. now, now I realize it is so therapeutic. It's actually, there's, and there's nothing wrong with thinking of writing as therapeutic. It's cathartic. You learn so much as you write. So um, what I tell my students about, you know, being resilient in terms of writing is write, I, I think it's really important to write the things that scare you, the things that are your secrets, the -hmm. things that you hate, uh, the things that you love, but, you know, things that you feel strongly about. Um, That's where your writing will be the strongest. That's where your uh, emotion, if you're feeling something strongly as you're writing it, those emotions will come through on the page, and so then it will be stronger. So I try to encourage them to be brave um, Mm -hmm. in their writing, and... It's it's um it's a process. Well, and and, and what you just is, said, I, okay, I, I wait, wait, not just to cut you off for a second. What to, you, I teach them to be brave, and I work with a lot of lot of kids that have dealt with a lot of mm-hmm. emotional stuff, a lot of challenging home environments, and one of the things mm-hmm. that I teach them to do when they're capable mm-hmm. is something that's called the Progoff method of journal writing, and what it does is it splits the brain. It allows, for one, what you do is you have the person list out five, say we're talking about the um, problems at school. So we would say, okay, Mm -hmm. let's list out five things that are issues at school. So the kid lists out five things, and then you don't even look at them. You, as the prompter, you just say, okay, take number two, and I want you to just write about it for 15 minutes. I don't want you to think about anything. Anything you write on your paper is fine. After the 15 minutes, this is the weird part. I have them switch hands to their non-dominant hand, and I have them Uh respond back in five minutes to what they wrote over the last 15. The reason for that is that you spill a lot once you get into the writing mode, and you're in that 15-minute mode, and you're just free associating and just writing, writing, writing. But when you switch to your non-dominant hand, Now, all of a sudden, you have to be concise because it's more difficult to write with your non-dominant hand. So your words become smaller. You write less. You answer yourselves. And this is how I have taught kids to be brave, to attack or to to assert themselves towards their own own issues. And I don't know what you – you know, think about that kind of – No, I think that's really, really interesting. Um. Let me say I one more thing. Like, you know that. Well, I'm so sorry. You know, you wrote in the article about building serotonin. Well, uh-huh. when you discover an answer to something, people, the reason why mm-hmm. people love gifts is that when you open it up, you don't know what it is, and then as soon as you open it, you go ah, that ah gives you dopamine. As soon as you discover something, dopamine mm-hmm. is released into your brain, and it feels really good. Now, unfortunately, this is why the hoarders love hoarding. Because it, it releases yeah. tremendous amounts every single time they get something new, get something different, quote unquote, find something. There was a great line in the book about your mom finding a new car and that she had found a, um, <laughs> a station wagon. And the second you wrote 
uh, that she had found a new car, the first thing that went into my head was, oh, my God, she got a truck or she got some kind of big thing to carry a bunch of crap in. And and that's exactly what it turned out to be, that she was so happy, but she didn't Mm -hmm. want to say it to you. She said, oh, I got a new I got a new beautiful car and but didn't say, uh, uh, you know, what you wanted to use it for. But you knew the same Mm -hmm. thing. It's like the kids will have these discoveries all of a sudden and they will find their strength or be able to talk about something that maybe was scary for them. So that bravery and finding the bravery in your teaching, how old are the the, the st- are you teaching younger kids or, or college or, uh, no, or you're at the college. new school? Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. You're at the new school. So that's college based. But, you know. Yeah. And then I also teach uh, uh, younger. Like Those are typically older students, at least in their 20s. But I also huh. teach English composition to 18 year olds. And um, so these those students are, you know, a lot of them are beginning to write for the first time. So with them, I stress uh that they need, they shouldn't be hard on themselves. They're not going to be perfect immediately. I mean, there's no way. So it's a process of learning, and I teach them to just be easy on themselves. And I say that for all writers, really. It's, uh, you know, it's it's all a process, and you're getting better as you're writing more and more. I know. As I write my book, I'm going to have to send it to you so you can keep me uh, uh, motivated to, <laughs> to to get it done. Um, I believe that even though you said that they're older, they're really not. They're still very young. You know, they're in their 20s. They're just beginning to discover the world. And what a great thing. I, I will say that that like Progoff method of journal writing that I described, I learned in uh-huh. my undergrad from a nun that taught me at the University of San Francisco, which is a Catholic university in San Francisco. Uh, mm-hmm. She would start off the class each, and it was a, I forget what the class was, it was a religion and literature class. And she would start off the class doing that methodology so that we would have something to talk about. It was a prompt for discussion in the class, and, and, and also it would be a really great thing for grounding. But writing is going to, whether they become quote-unquote writers or they just have that ability to do that is going to be so important in their future life in so many areas, whether it's business or teaching themselves or if they decide to sit down and try and write an article or a book or something. I, uh, what, yeah, I'll look that up. That's re- that sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's a, it started off as a Christian counseling method done by the nice Jewish boy counselor myself, but, uh, it, 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 it was used a lot in the fifties and sixties, um, kind of died out and is now, just re- returning as a, as a very useful tool. And again, it's Progoff, P-R-O-G-O-F-F, uh, method of journal writing. Um, I believe that we are coming up on another break here in a minute, and that'll be our last break. But when we come back, I want to, you're, Jesse, you're, you're writing a, a, a new book, a new memoir, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I'm kind of excited to, Having just read what I believe was your first memoir, uh, yeah. I would really like to know, is the story going to continue? What area are you taking it into? So we will be back in 
uh, a couple minutes and we'll just continue our discussion then. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, last week I received a lot of emails, and so that was really great to get your questions, and I was able to respond back to, I think, all of you. Um, do you feel that you can call in at any time also and ask questions? We'd love to have that. So, Jesse, we were talking about, the last thing we were talking about was writing and how that can also bring resilience to you, it can open up areas of your life you want to work on. It doesn't always have to be a therapeutic uh, tool, but it really can be a therapeutic tool also. Tell me, I'm really interested, having read your first book, what's your second book about, if you're willing to talk about it? Sometimes authors are. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, So the second book actually is a little bit of a sequel to my first book. So in my first, in, in Dirty Secret, I talk about how I have a phobia of snakes mm, right. and, mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of it has to do with my mother um, and so in my second book that I'm working on now I am writing about phobias 
in kind of in general, but more specifically, I'm writing about my journey to overcome my phobia. Oh, that's wonderful. In progress. You know, there's something Sorry. about that, too, that when I was reading the book, it made me think of my own mother. My own mother dealt with alcoholism and drug addiction, and and she uh, also had these tremendous phobias to the point where she was totally agoraphobic, would not leave the house, and her thing was bees. She was completely afraid of bees, and she put that into myself and my uh, sibling so strongly that for years I was afraid even to go on a hike. I was afraid to go anywhere outside that there possibly would be bees. And so what a wonderful way. I think it's part of this, that their concerns and their own phobias rub off on us. And we actually believe that if we don't take the phobia on ourselves, something bad is going to happen to us. Now, mm-hmm. there's, all, and there's also a very Jewish way of thinking, which is, which I am. I think you're Jewish too, aren't you, Jesse? I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is, worry about something and nothing will go wrong. But if you don't yeah. worry about it, it will go wrong for sure. Now, the, right. problem, the, the problem with that thinking is that most mm-hmm. things go right. They go the way that they're supposed to. But since you've worried about it, you think your worry is what made it go right. So what do you do the next time something happens? Yeah, worry again. And so mm-hmm. it's these things, these phobias, these, oh, I don't even know what word to use, these behaviors that they use, they, they rub off onto their kids, onto us, because... It's the way that they believe that they're keeping us safe, I guess, in some way. But I'm sorry, I, I, I spoke too much. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy oh, to hear okay. that it's going to be like a part two because when I got to the end of it, I'm like, but what about and how are we going to and where are you going to do? You know, I have I had questions at the end of the book. So I think oh, it's very exciting. That's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I think I'll send you some of those ideas. And what I also really found interesting in your book was at the end of your book you have discussion questions and um, group discussion questions that not only are great for writers but could definitely be used in the counseling situation where you're looking at how did that make you feel how did that what response did that uh, elicit from you as a reader and I, I really I've ne- it's very very rare in textbooks, you'll see that discussion questions are written, mm-hmm. but extremely rare in a, a nonfiction type of, of book. And I just thought it was wonderful. So oh, that's and- that was the publisher's idea, I have to say, not not mine. Um, but I'm really happy that you found them useful. And I've I've heard that before that people found them. It's it's um, mostly for reading group, uh, yeah, book clubs. Book clubs and writing groups, and yeah, and, and I can yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it also when I because I do group counseling, I was thinking, wow, uh-huh. this would be just the greatest thing to be able to have some of the adults that we work with, or some of the older kids that we work with, read some of this and be able to respond. Um, I gotta say, we got four minutes till the end of the show, and I've got I've got a I've got a couple more questions. Um, okay. Let me see if I can see in my notes here uh how, how did you get interested in teaching by the way 
um, I really, I love writing and I love discussing writing. And I've, uh, before I got, before I became a teacher, I was always in groups, writing groups, you know, sharing writing and things like that. And I just enjoyed it so much uh, that when I, I got my master's in writing, my MFA, and I just began looking into, you know, writing, uh, teaching opportunities because I just like it so much. Well, and I'm just naturally a little bit bossy, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and I, we, we call it bossy, but really it's mentorship. And I have found in the work that I've done for, gosh, near enough 30 years now, that a benefactor is the most important thing a student can have, whether it's a student or, or a client in therapy, somebody that could put their wing around you, their arm around you and say, you know what, you can do this. Yeah, you screwed up, you got an F, you didn't do very well on this, but we can build from here. We can we can develop the skill that you're missing. This is the safe place. The classroom is the safe place for you to be. You can screw up in here and we can fix it together. That's the part that I love about teaching. Yeah, me too. I really do. Mm-hmm. How do writers assist others to be resilient? I think it's very, it's pretty much exactly what you just described um, when you're talking about mentorship, where it's just, it's encouragement. Uh, when I teach classes that have a workshop component, so we're all discussing uh, a student's work together, I tend to focus on the strengths of a piece. At least we begin the discussion with the strengths. Uh, so that people know what is working, and then, but you know, then we also give constructive criticism, so it's helpful. But there's always uh, the there's always the knowledge that you know this is what you did. This isn't who you are. So if you maybe you wrote a story that isn't that great, that doesn't mean you're not great. That right. means that you have something to learn from this piece, and you you can and you will make it better. Live to learn, which is number two in those five ways to be resilient. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. Jesse, it's been really, really nice meeting you and having you on the show. We're at the end of the show, and I just want to thank Jesse Scholl for all her wonderful articles and for your writing, and thank you all for listening. Remember that on strategy... Thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Jesse. We'll talk again soon. Remember that on Strategies and Solutions... Living the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be a new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.